So Gary and I will be reading Luke 14 together. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. <coughs> then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his hosts, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost and to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but it loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is an outline. Let us know where we're going this morning. And if you do have a Bible, feel free to follow along or certainly have that uh, reading, that leaflet handy. That would be great. Now we're starting off with a photo. Here we go. Uh, can anyone tell me who that is? You know the name of the person there? Might know the story. 27-year-old Aaron Rolston's right arm became pinned by a 400-kilogram boulder while he was out hiking in a canyon by himself. Now, you might have read the book or seen the movie, 127 Hours Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Um, don't know if you've ever been between a rock and a hard place in your life like that. He was really, literally between a rock <laughs> and a very hard place. In fact, it was an impossible place uh, because Aaron, after a number of hours, uh, once he got over the excruciating pain of his forearm being crushed, he said he knew he had four choices. Someone could find him, but he knew really that wasn't going to happen. He could move the boulder somehow with his climbing gear. He could chip away at the rock with his pen knife, or he could do the unimaginable. He just said dying wasn't an option. And so he tried chipping away with his pen knife at the boulder, um, well, for about 127 hours. Hence the name of the movie. Um, he tried um, using his climbing gear to lift it, hopeless. Uh, five days, 127 hours, he's gone through all his food and his water, uh, and he made the unimaginable choice uh, to use some of his climbing equipment uh, to break the two bones in his forearm, and then to use his pen knife to cut off his arm, with the tourniquet, I should say. And then he walked out. He walked out of the canyon alive, and obviously to tell tell the story. But here's the thing. Uh, he recognised, Aaron recognised the truth of his situation, the urgency of the situation. Uh, he saw very clearly the choice he had to make in order to save his life, and he made it. Not making that choice was choosing certain death, certain destruction. Now, I've told that story to really introduce to get us thinking about choices. I don't know what choices you've made this week, this month, uh, what choices you've had to make this year. Uh, it's been, a, as they say, a once-in-a-hundred-year extraordinary year where we've had all sorts of choices and decisions uh, forced on us. You see, some choices like the car we drive, uh, the breakfast cereal you eat, the school we attend, uh, the school you might choose to send your kids to, uh, the career path you've chosen or you're going to choose. Look, we know these, che these choices. I mean, uh, they have consequences for life. They're, they're important. They're not right or wrong. They're more a matter of wisdom, of opinion, and, and making those preferences. But in Luke 14, what we've just heard read out, Jesus is saying that uh, our choice 
about whether to listen to him, uh, whether to receive and acknowledge him, uh, whether to say yes to his banquet invitation. It's actually one of those Aaron Ralston life and death sort of choices. It will affect for all eternity where you spend eternity. And similarly for our unbelieving neighbours, family and friends and colleagues, people who are dear to us. It's about where they will spend eternity as well. You know, and we can't be thinking about any more real and edgy things. That's why it's so good we're here. So good you've made the effort to come to listen to Jesus. Let's just take a step back and put chapters 14 to 16 in their context. Um, Luke starts his Gospels telling us that he's writing this, his Gospel of Jesus, to give his listeners, that's you and I, certainty. Certainty about Jesus, certainty about the things of Jesus, and especially about the future that he's offering. Last week, uh, Paul so helpfully preached about the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, Zacchaeus... uh, where Jesus says, um, I've come eating and drinking to seek and save sinners like Zacchaeus. The heart of his mission, eating and drinking to seek out and to save sinners. So the key question that this section in Luke is really asking us and, and answering for us in chapters 13 and 14 particularly is there's definitely going to be a lot of people there in heaven, but who? Who is going to get entry to the king's banquet? And of course, who's going to miss out? So for example, uh, Jesus has been teaching about this, trying to answer this question uh, for people then and now for a little while. Back in chapter 13 of uh, of Luke, verses 23 and 24, uh, Jesus says this. Someone asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. He's also taught that many are going to come from the east and the west, the north and the south. But to those there eating with him, he says, Do not think just because you're eating with me that you will be received into my banquet. Now we've just heard in the middle of this chapter, chapter 14, uh, one of those at table with Jesus said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. It begs the question, but who? Who's going to get in? Who's going to get entry? And how? How do I guarantee a seat? Well, there's three headings to unpack uh, the answer to that question here in this chapter. The three headings are hostility or humility, reward now or at the resurrection, excuses or entry. So that first heading there, inhumane hostility or life saving humility we read there look with me verse one that one sabbath when jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent pharisee he was being carefully watched now first thing we notice about the whole chapter uh, did you notice that the first half of the chapter in fact the first 24 verses um, that all the action takes inside the house uh, with these Uh, religious insiders with these very religious people from verse 25 onwards jesus is outside talking to all the crowds we know there's thousands of people following jesus they're curious 
Um, and so what Jesus has to say, say from 25 on is for all these crowds. Now, as per the culture of the day, a travelling rabbi or, or preacher, uh, they would uh, rock into uh, a village like Mount Barker um, and the religious hierarchy of the day and the leader of the religious hierarchy, that, they'd hear about this rabbi being in town and so they'd throw out an invitation. Uh, come and have this banquet with us. The main meal of the day, um, come so we can you know, hear your teaching, find out your views theologically, politically, you know, what you're on about. Um, and so that's really the, the context here. And so this is why Jesus is the guest of honour. This would be a very lavish banquet, by the way. This is, I mean, this is the sort of banquet, I mean, goodness me, we went around to Nathan's house the other day, took, cooked up a storm. It was amazing. Um, look, this is a banquet um, and it would go on, on for hours and you've got the leader of the, of the Pharisees there, but you've got all the religious heavyweights of the town there as well. Now, since the end of Luke chapter 11, uh, Luke's told us that all the Jewish religious leaders of the day have been lying in wait for Jesus to catch him in something he might say. Uh, he's already uh, got their noses out of joint, they're angry, and they're now looking a way to trap him so they can get rid of him. And so now Jesus knows this. He's there. He knows that he's been carefully watched, that they're actually trying to trap him. Um, the evidence is right there. They've got a man there who needs to be healed. Now here's the first thought or reflection about just how amazingly full God's grace is for us in Jesus. Because Jesus still accepts their invitation to eat with them. I mean, what love is this that goes and eats with one's enemies, knowing they've got it in for you? See, what a beautiful picture of graceful love here we have in Jesus. He, he's right to the end. He's availing himself to try to save these hard-hearted, uh, mean-spirited religious insiders. But the other thing I want you to notice such is Jesus' love. Do you notice who's taking all the initiative here? Normally they would ask him questions and then, you know, the rabbi would respond. Here's Jesus taking the initiative all through the meal. He's the one talking and, and asking the questions and trying to prod and provoke, get their attention to help them to see who he is, why he's come, so they can repent, believe and be saved. And so he asks them, what do you think, guys? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, here's an example of a graceless response, isn't it? Um, they just remain silent. Uh, but full of mercy, Jesus' response to the man with abnormal swelling of his body is to heal him. He knows that only, and they know, that only Jesus has the power to heal this man, to save him. And of course, Jesus' miraculous healings, they were signposts to take us back to the Old Testament. Uh, evidence that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah who these religious insiders were waiting for he was god the king that they were waiting for sitting in their midst and so he heals them and asks after this jesus asks them if one of you has a child or an ox or maybe a rat that falls in to a well on the sabbath day the jewish day of rest where they had all these rules about what they thought you couldn't couldn't do um will you not immediately pull them out that is will you not immediately have mercy and have compassion and pull them out. And of course, again, in their grace-less silence, 
They condemn themselves. Show what little mercy and love they have for their fellow human being, who they brought in for one purpose only, which is to trap Jesus. Well, Jesus continues to try to expose their graceless behaviour so they can see the gracefulness of God there in front of them. Jesus is meant to be the invited guest of honour here at this table. Uh, he should have been given the, the guest of honour seat, the most prestigious seat. Uh, but he's noticed how all the guests, they've come in and they've, you know, they've picked, they've come in early, they've swapped the name tags. Have you ever done that at a wedding? You know, oh, don't want to sit next to them. I might just sit over here. I swap that name tag. Uh, a few little nervous laughs I can hear out there. Anyway, uh, we've all done it, haven't we? Um, yeah, you know who you're going to have that Christmas dinner with or whatever it is, and you think, oh, don't want to sit across from them. Um, well, this is a bit of what's going on here. It's in these sort of Jewish banquets, the, the seats, depending on where you sat, you know, as near the host as you could. I mean, they were they were guests of honour, if if you like, uh, seats of honour. And Jesus has noticed how these guys have picked the places of honour for themselves, which basically uh, Jesus has left sitting down the end of the table. Now it was the culture of the day. Um, this little helpful book, which um, if you're in leadership or anything. Uh, this is a great read by John Dixon called Humilitus. Uh, John is a historian. He's done a historical study on humility in the ancient world and how it's become one of the most valued virtues in leadership today. Well, anyway, he says um, that there was a word that was really common in Jesus' day called philotimia, philotimia which meant literally love of honour, love of honour. It was the highest pursuit of Jesus' day. That is, you literally unashamedly went around praising yourself, <laughs> boasting about yourself, and even paying people to, to praise you and boast about you as well. Um, and what was the least practised virtue of Greco-Roman culture of Jesus' day? Humility. Counting others more worthy than yourselves. Uh, there was a... Um, uh, a list of 147 virtues getting around in Jesus' day. Um, uh, it was called the Delphic Canon. 147 virtues that you should pursue if you wanted to be an excellent Roman citizen. Do you know that humility doesn't even make the list? <laughs> History records that it was Jesus' cross, Jesus humbling himself to death on a cross, that turned this list upside down and put mercy and humility at the top. If you're wondering why our society is becoming less merciful, people are becoming less humble, well, because we're letting go of Jesus and the Christianity upon which a lot of this country was built. The greatest man, the son of God no less, voluntarily humbling himself to the most shameful place possible, death on a Roman cross, so that many might be lifted up from the shame of their sin to a place of honour before God. That's why Jesus goes on to tell them this wedding feast parable. Jesus, uh, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done it, you've accidentally sat in someone else's seat. Could you imagine going to a wedding banquet and you've sat in the bridegroom's seat. <laughs> Everyone's come in and they're about to announce the wedding party. The MC stood up and said, oh, oh, Hey, Andrew, mate, sorry, buddy. <laughs> you've sat in the bridegroom's seat. Uh, do you mind just your seat's down the back? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, how would you be feeling? It's like, Oh, sorry, what have I done? 
It's that sort of walk of shame. Um, that, that's sort of what's on view here. Um, Jesus says, doesn't he, verse 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. All those who exalt themselves, you will be humbled, promises Jesus. And those who humble themselves now, I promise you, says Jesus, you will be exalted on the day of my return. Now, why does Jesus, here's a question for you, why do you think he tells a wedding feast parable here? How does the Bible end? Revelation 21? Anyone? With a big wedding feast, doesn't it? The wedding feast of the Lamb. What's the, one of the commonest ways in the Old Testament that God talked about himself and his relationship with his people? God the bridegroom was going to come and make his wife pure save a people to himself it's one of the most commonest metaphors the bible uses to talk about god's relationship with us jesus never said or did anything by accident who is this jesus in the midst he's doing whatever he can to try to show them that god the bridegroom is sitting there at the table and they've given him the lowest seat at the table God the bridegroom is, he's come to save them and to save everyone. And that brings us to point two in our outline. Because Jesus, uh, he's just warming up, isn't he, really? He now turns to the host <laughs> who's invited him. And he's, 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 he's picked something pretty obvious up about the host and the, the culture of the day. Uh, point two, self-promoting respectability or resurrection reward. See, what's the problem, uh, Jesus says? Well, the leader of the Pharisees, he's invited all of his mates all you know everyone who um you know well this is the great jesus you know the guy you've heard about thousands following him he's been doing all these miracles you come and uh, i've organized he's coming to my place for dinner you want to come um and uh no it's it's you don't have to pay but um i'll, I'll be coming back to you to uh you know to, to ask a favor for you later um that's how it works doesn't it you know if i do this for you uh i'll put you in debt you're going to do this for me later um, that, that, that's, that's the culture of then and certainly the culture of the day. Uh, but what does Jesus say in verses 13 and 14? But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, the crippled, the lame, the blind, uh, again, that's Bible uh, language for the outcasts, all the outcasts in Jewish society. And did you know that um, when uh, the world became Aramaic um, and uh, there was a, if you like, a, a living Bible commentary written of the Old Testament where the translators into the Aramaic decided they would have a go interpreting what they thought passages meant, um, they, they wrote in to the, to, called the Targum, uh, they wrote in that um, the crippled, the lame, the blind, all these outcasts, the low castes, they would definitely not be getting entry into the banquet at Jesus' kingdom. Uh, so when the Messiah came, these guys would miss out. Uh, the guys at the table, the firsts in society, they thought they were, they were definitely getting a, a seat. And, and Jesus here, he's saying, no, 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 um, invite these guys because they're welcome as well. 
And they get a mention later on. We'll come back to them. But what's Jesus saying here? And we've all done it, haven't we? Um, you know, one of, the, one of the greatest struggles of teaching young people today is a thing called delayed gratification. Um, maybe you struggle that with yourself. Why are, the, why are the parents laughing? Luke, you're not laughing. Do you know your dad's laughing? What? what? Yes. Um, yeah, where, where you actually suffer now, you count the cost now um, to receive a reward later. Well, Jesus says, well, d- don't, don't live for whatever happiness and rewards now in this lifetime. Live for that greater reward, the eternal reward, uh, re- being raised with me and given a seat at my table. Don't be people pleasers who live for earthly rewards. Uh, not only will you miss out on a seat at the king's wedding feast in the resurrection, but let me ask you, like living to please others, uh, we've all done it, uh, um, maybe you're struggling with that now. Isn't that such an exhausting way to live? <laughs> you're always worrying. Oh, what's that person thinking about me? What have they said? Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I've tried to not get on Facebook. I'm sort of there. It's an incredibly static page. Thank you for everyone who sent friend requests. Um, I won't be responding, okay? It's, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a way I manage, um, you know, those sorts of things. But we all know um, the cost of living on social media and the stress that can bring. It's exhausting. Now, Jesus says, let me set you free of being a people pleaser. Um, Let me help you to live for the applause of one. Just to live for my applause. Because at the end of the day, my applause for you and how you live your life, that is the only applause that matters. It's the only applause that's going to matter in eternity. Because I'm the king of kings. I'm the judge and the saviour. And so be a God-pleaser who lives for that resurrection day, makes decisions now about how you'll treat people with an eye to that day and your reward then. And so we come to point three, because Jesus is now prod and provoked enough to where we've picked up that um, one of those at the table with Jesus, verse 15, they heard Jesus say this and they said, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, whether it's to break the tension, because, uh, you know, things are getting a bit awkward here. Um, but it brings us to that third point, self-excluding excuses or enthusiastic entry. Now, um, in the Old Testament, which, which we'll see, uh, feasting with God at his table, you've probably already guessed it. Um, it's a word picture metaphor that God uses very, very commonly um, to talk about heaven, to talk about what it's going to be like, just how good it's going to be when we're raised and um, receive eternal life with Jesus. But in saying this, you know, blessed is the person who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what's the Pharisee really saying? He's expecting Jesus to say, oh, yeah, of course, uh, you know, you, you, you obey the laws and do everything. And, you know, definitely, yes, you know, here we are. You guys, of course, are, you know, some of the, the blessed ones. You see, he said this thinking that, um, that everyone now at that table, um, they're going to get in. It's a sure bet. And Jesus doesn't say that, though, does he? He actually goes on to tell a story about God's dinner table in heaven. Now, does anyone not know what Netflix is? Uh, maybe watched a bit more than usual <laughs> during COVID. So... It's helpful to understand that this banqueting parable, this is called the Great Banquet, it's, uh, um, it, it's like the most, one of the most important episodes 
in the second Netflix series. <laughs> uh, the whole series is called uh, The King's Great Banquet. The King's Great Banquet. The first series, uh, that was shot back in the Old Testament, all right? And you know when you sort of come into a series, a second series, if, if they do anything at half well, that they're always doing these little flashbacks, aren't they? Like, you know, into the first series, just to remind you in case you've forgotten or you never saw it in the first place, so you can connect the dots and work out what this episode's really, really about. That sort of is what is going on here. Um, the first um, King Banqueting series, that was shot uh, hundreds of years earlier. Uh, most of the episodes were shot in a book called Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus turns up. And one of the most watched episodes in the first series uh, was from Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25. It was so popular. And now I've actually printed that series out for us in our leaflets, if you want to. We're just going to do a quick flashback. Um, and what we're going to do is we're all going to read it out loud because it's there. We're all reading from the same hymn sheet. So uh, we're going to read it out loud. And I want you to think about what's so great about this banquet that's being promised here. Are we ready? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. What stood out for you? Now, I've obviously underlined a few things for us. Um, before we get to that, let me just step back. What's the best banquet you've ever been to in your life so far? Uh, you might want to share that story over morning tea. Um, the best banquet you've been to so far. Now, um, of course, my own wedding banquet was pretty special. It was up there. Um, but one of the best banquets we've been to in the last five or so years was uh, Aisha and Jamie, Aisha's our eldest daughter, was their wedding banquet in 2015. You see, that was Adelaide Oval had just opened, all right, and they were trying to sell business. We scored this ridiculous deal to hold their wedding banquet at Adelaide Oval in the McGarry Room. They divided the walls, you know, those big windows you see? That was the backdrop. Like, it was amazing, amazing. But here's the thing. Because they were trying to uh, make business, you know, we thought it'd be great. And Gita and her girlfriend, I mean, they'd gone in and, and they had these special bird cages and flowers. Like, it was just phenomenal. But they had just outdone themselves. We walked in, I was like, whoa! They had surpassed all our expectations. Not just that, the service from the get-go. They couldn't do enough. It was just amazing. And then the food. Seriously, the best buffet I've ever eaten, ever. Like, the meat was so tender. It was, it was just amazing. And all at a bargain basement price, um, you know, with the drinks packages. And don't get me started on the desserts. Like, whoa, seriously amazing. Now, how do you think this great service, great food, great venue, great... How do you think that lubricated the relationships on the day? I mean, it was just the best time. 140 people up dancing to Nutbush City Limits. and I mean, you know, it's just, it was crazy. Such a good time. I mean, weddings are a good time anyway, aren't they? 
Of course, weddings celebrate uh, the union between two people. And again, you've got these wedding banquets here in the Bible celebrating the union of God with the people. And what did you pick up? What did you pick up about this banquet? You see, God uses royal banqueting language. No one in Jesus' day uh, could afford the best of meats or the finest of wines except kings and queens. This is a royal banquet that's being promised here. A banquet of a king. And did you notice who's on the guest list? All peoples, all the nations. Not just Jews, all peoples. And, um, yep, look, along with Jamie's parents, we paid for everything. Um, and, of course, that's usually how wedding banquets uh, you know, work. But who's paying all the costs here? I mean, I've underlined it um, repeatedly. The Lord will. He will. He will. The sovereign Lord will. He will. This is God taking the initiative. This is God covering all the entry costs. This is God providing everything. Everything. All we have to do is turn up. Turn up. Why is it one of the best banquet tables you don't want to miss out on? Well, we cannot imagine what it's like um, to sit around and knowing that death has been dealt with. There's no death. And if there's no death, there's no grief, there's no suffering, there's no bad memories, there's no sadness, there's no tears. But how beautiful and personal is this God who himself comes and is going to wipe away every tear? That's just beautiful. He will wipe away every tears. And there's been no death because there's no sin. All the shame and the guilt of sin would have been dealt with. The penalty, the wage of sin is death. God, in Jesus, dealing with sin, paying the penalty of death. That's why Jesus uses the language of Isaiah 25 here as, as the, the backdrop to this, this, if you like, second Netflix series episode in Luke 14. See, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. Jesus wants us to picture God getting ready for people to arrive. And again, the custom of the day, it took days to prepare. I mean, it took us months to prepare for, for Ocean Jamie's wedding. Again, the invites went out early. You needed to know who was coming. Are you going to kill a chicken? <laughs> you know, you're going to kill uh, a little lamb, uh, a big lamb, or the, or, 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 you know, or, uh, or the bull. You needed to cater right, and it took a long time to prepare. And so you did that, and once everything was ready, everything was like ready, um, it's, then you send out that second invitation. Come now, come now. It's ready. And so we read in sentence 17, At the time of the banquet, the master, who's God, sent out his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Um, Gita and I, we managed to, to squeeze a, a quiet pre-banqueting um, drink, if you like, before the guests arrived. We're up there. They, they had the sort of the, the big foyer area. I can't remember the name of the bar, uh, the Curly Bar, whatever it was, overlooking Adelaide Oval. Um, we, we're having a quiet drink, you know, just reflecting on the day, getting ready, um, you know, for the, all the guests, you know, for, for about to arrive. Um, you know, we've, we've put the, the buffet's in there. It's, it's all ready to go. And it, Oh, hang on, sorry. So I'll turn my phone off. It keeps buzzing. Oh. oh, Nathan, mate, what's up? You've just bought a field. What? You can't come. You you got to go and see it straight away. Oh, please excuse me. Um, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. Huh. 
Anton? Hey. Oh, hey, John, I've just bought five tractors. And I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Sorry, Anton's not coming either. Uh, Thomas. Thomas Hodge. What? I just got married, so I can't come. What? Huh. Now, here's the stinger. What do we read in sentence 18? Every guest, all alike, began to make excuses. They all alike. Can you imagine Gita and I receiving 140 phone calls 30 minutes before the banquet, everyone cancelling on us? Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, and of course we haven't, where every person you've invited for dinner is cancelled. <laughs> but let's just swap roles for a moment, because we've done this, haven't we? And if you're, if you're courageous enough, you might want to share your best excuse that you've ever given to get out of a dinner you never really wanted to go to. Um, well, you know, you've been invited to something and dropped out last minute. Oh, sorry, I've got this uh, last minute tummy ache or, you know, the kids are sick. Or, Look, now we might think real estate, you know, haulage. Let me say, uh, so the ox were, con- they were equal to tractors, okay? That's what the ox did. Um, they pulled things, haulage uh, and relationships getting married. I mean, they're fair reasons not to go to a party. But our excuses reflect our priorities, don't they? They reflect our priorities. You see, do you know that before you even talked about the price of a field in Jesus' day, you went and looked at it, you looked at the, you know, the water, does it got, uh, you, you knew the history, you knew everyone who'd owned that field, it was so precious. You, even before you got around to talking about a price, I mean, it's ridiculous. Again, there's no way you did not go and try out the oxen before you'd buy them because you needed to know they could pull together, that they would tire at the same time. Uh, this is big money. And you did your research. You, you went and checked them out. You see, the excuses, they're insulting. They're insulting. And that's what they're trying to do. They're insulting the host here. And notice that the, um, well, not really Thomas, but, but notice the guy getting married, he doesn't even say, please excuse me. Uh, I mean, it just never would have happened. It's, it's the worst sort of dis- way you could dishonour uh, a host. But our excuses, they reflect our priorities, don't they? They reveal who or what is really of value to us at the time. The truth is they don't want to go to the party. Um, in fact, they've done it in such a way because they're trying to stop the party and to bring as much shame and dishonour as they can to the host. You see, when we say I'm too busy for your party, what, aren't we actually saying that I'm too busy for you? You aren't of enough value to me. You're not really worth my time, my precious time. Now, friends, the sad thing is that sometimes our excuses can kill us. There comes a time when Jesus says enough is enough and no more invitations to you. He says in verse 24, doesn't he, I tell you not one of those people who were invited will get a taste in my banquet. Now, by now, the people sitting at the table with Jesus, they know he's talking about them. All these religious firsts in society. It's not, that, it's not just that they won't just be last in line, they're not even going to be on the line. And now here it's really important, we come to the centre of this parable, the Master's amazing graceful response. And it's so easy to miss. Uh, what's the emotion, what's the reaction of the Master in the parable to their excuses? What is it? He's angry, 
angry. I wonder if you've ever been angry um, when something like this has been done to you. I mean, how, how much right does God have to be angry uh, with these people, the way they've treated his son? They ended up actually rejecting him um, and killing him on a Roman cross. He's, he's got every right to be angry. Now, here's the key question. What's the master going to do with his anger? He's got every right for retribution, to take these guys to court, to get his money back, um, to punish them. What does he do with his anger? The servant came back, reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor and the crippled, the blind and the lame. That is, go out to the outcasts of Israel. Even though they're unworthy to be seated at a king's table, even though it's impossible for them to repay the king anything, go and invite them. Come in now. Come now. It's all free. Come freely at my expense. Can you see that the master, the anger of the master, gets turned into extravagant grace? He's throwing out this invitation for anyone who has ears to hear, to come, to come. For my banquet, he says, must be full. It must be full. Come. How can this be? We're all rats. We've, we've bitten the hand of our creator. We deserve death and God's judgment. Where in history does God turn that justice to take all that anger and he turns it into immeasurable grace? Where? It's in the, in the cross of his son. The cross of his son where the anger at sinners is satisfied by God's own son? Where in history does God himself swallow up death completely? In the death of his son, who dies our death in our place. Where in history do rivers of grace begin to flow to wash away sin's shames? At the cross at Calvary. What a beautiful saviour we have in Jesus. Beautiful. Jesus' point is the parable is that so full, so full is God's grace in Jesus. There's always more room. There's always more room. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, it doesn't matter. You can never exhaust my grace for you. Come, just keep coming. No matter how many times you stuff up, just keep coming, keep coming. There's always forgiveness. Then the master, uh, he hears from the servant, all the outcasts of Israel are in. There's still more seats. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Again, it's Bible language for, for Gentiles, for the nations. Can you see there's three rounds of invites, always has been? The Jews, the outcasts and the Gentiles. Always has been, always been a part of God's plan. Luke's sequel in the book of Acts, it records from, from Acts chapter 10, uh, the Pentecost, if you like, of the Gentiles, uh, when that third round of invites start to go out. And it's continuing to go out, isn't it? Continuing to go out to the nations today because Jesus says, my house must be full. Can we hear Jesus' compelling invitation as we finish up? His compelling invitation, not only for us, but for those who we know live next to us, we're in relationship with, who, who are yet to receive this invitation, who are yet to say yes. And you think, well, but I've already talked to my neighbours, I've already... Well, let me tell you about Ben. I met Ben when he was with a team of Sydney Uni students. Uh, we used to invite him over for mission every year at, down at Trinity Brighton. And um, Ben, um, he was once a God's hater at uni. Uh, he had a best friend there uh, who was a Christian. And anyway, one year she just kept bugging him to come and listen to the Bible talks. 
And he said, no, 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 no. But she just kept inviting, wouldn't stop. Now you've got to come, just come once, come once. He was getting so irritated with her, he said. And he said, oh, finally, just to, you know, get it up, be quiet. Uh, he came. And the last thing happened that he expected. <laughs> God used that talk to reach into his life and to wake him up to the truth of Jesus. Uh, his curiosity led to exploring Jesus further. That curiosity led to a saving faith some months later. Two years later, he's finishing uni, not to go on his career, but to start a ministry traineeship. And now he's in full-time ministry. It took seven invites, like really compelling invites we're talking about here, in-your-face invites to get him to come. Jesus says, compel them to come in. Convince them. Convince them. It's important that everyone gets a hearing. Choose to come in while you can, says Jesus. If you're here, you're hedging your bets, you've sort of come but only half-heartedly, you're sort of, ooh, you know. This is an Aaron Ralston situation. Do not delay. You will perish. You really want to make a bet that you're going to be back here next Sunday for whatever reason? Can you guarantee that COVID won't get you? Or a bus or something else. Like, if this is it, if you're here, this is your opportunity. If you have not come, come now, please, please, I beg you. Jesus cannot be clearer with us. I tell you, the one, those who were invited, no one who were invited will get a taste of my banquet if, if, we, if we keep holding Jesus at arm's length. The you here is plural. He's finished the parable. He's talking to real people now. He's speaking to people then and people here. The Messianic banquet has started the invitations are there. It's, it's there for you. Come, come now while you can. I've prepared a place for you, for you to come. See, when there's a choice between real estate and Jesus, are you really going to choose real estate? <laughs> between making money and Jesus? Between sex and Jesus? When there's a choice even between family and friends? Are you really going to say to Jesus, sorry, sorry, mate, I'm just a bit busy for you at the moment? <laughs> Jesus is saying, be careful we don't miss out on what is truly of eternal value. Because whatever your excuse, whatever your excuse, you're excusing yourself from a seat at that table. It's your fault. It's all on you. Can you really not afford to amputate whatever you need to amputate in your life that is holding you back from showing love and loyalty and allegiance to Jesus? But of course, the mission continues. There's a commissioning here for us who have come. To go and eat and drink and compel like your king. To go and welcome those who can't repay you. To go and welcome your neighbours, friends, but also your enemies, strangers. Compel them, convince them to come into my house. I've got that quote there at the bottom of the leaflet. It's a beautiful quote, um, how to outlive your life. Hospitality opens the door to uncommon community. When you open your door to someone, you are sending this message. You matter to me and to God. You may think you are saying, come over for a visit, but what your guest hears is, I'm worth the effort. I'm worth the effort. Yesterday, we had an amazing day, Gita and I. Uh, some good friends of ours. We've been, uh, Gita especially, befriending, walking with every week for 13, 14 years, not yet Christian. Um, they, they said a few weeks ago, we want to take you out for a day. We're paying for everything. Uh, it's a way of thank you. You've been so kind to us. They took us to their favourite place, McLaren Vale, some of their favourite places, tasting wine, um, even bought the wine, bottles of wine we were going to buy. We were not allowed to pay for anything for the day. Then they took us to the most amazing lunch. 
paid for everything. It was the best day, best day. And of course, what were they trying to say to us? We like having you in our life. We want you in our life. You matter to us. Daylight savings here. Christmas is on the way. What better way to prepare again to remember the coming king who is coming again than just to go overboard this Christmas? Um, people have been isolated. Um, we, we can now get together. We can eat. We can drink. We can have great times together. What better way to show practically the love and the gracefulness of Jesus? Let me pray. Father, thank you uh, for these words here. Um, a lot of them are pretty uh, confronting, but yet they're confronting because of just how urgent, uh, how great your love is for us and for lost people to be found and come to you. Help us to feel something of that urgency and importance for our own lives. And please may that flow out, that gracefulness flow out meaningfully into the lives of others this week and in the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, Amen.